Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Let's turn to Psalm 96, uh, and it's part of what's called the Joyful Collection. Uh, Psalms 95 to 100 um, are called the Joyful Collection. These songs have the theme uh, of joy in the Lord and what that joy should cause in our lives. Uh, In each one of these psalms, we are invited, uh, commanded, really, to join a universal chorus in praise to God. Now, I've mentioned this before during our Wednesday night uh, study through God's hymnal, the Psalms here, Um, but whether it's in the Psalms or whether it's elsewhere in Scripture, have you ever wondered why that God invites us to praise Him or that He commands us so frequently to praise Him? Has that ever crossed your mind? Uh, Long ago, uh, I remember thinking about that, and and then um, years later, I read something that C.S. Lewis wrote because he wondered the same thing. Um, you, you know, we are told not to seek praise from others, right? And um, so why does God, who tells us that we are to be like him, and that we are to reflect his character and conduct, why does God so often demand or command our praise in Scripture? And I just love how C.S. Lewis explained all of these commands for us to praise the Lord in God's Word. First of all, obviously, God is God and we are not. Um, While we are to be like Him and reflect Him, He's the Creator, we are His creation. But the greater reason that He so frequently tells us to praise Him, uh, especially in the Psalms, is because it's good for us to do that. Um, God wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be full of joy. And then what Jesus said in John 15, 11, he said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And that was Paul's prayer for the Roman church at the end of that epistle. Romans 15, 13, Paul prays, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you might abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So yes, God wants us to know true joy and he wants us to be full of joy in him. And God knows that joy is incomplete until it's expressed. And that was C.S. Lewis's point. Our joy cannot be full It cannot be complete until it's expressed. Lewis gave us these examples from our everyday lives. Uh, When we are smitten with joy in the one we love, our sweetheart, we need to express it, don't we? You might tell them. You might tell others. Uh, When we see the beauty of a a panoramic view, maybe in the mountains of North Carolina in the fall, um, we we often will tell others to look at that beautiful view. I know when we went to... uh, out to Brevard, to the wilds, I heard gasps behind me. And people would say, look at that. And I said, you look for me. I'm going to focus on the road here. And these hairpin turns. Um, or maybe our favorite sports team. They, they accomplished some uh, incredible athletic feat. 
And we celebrate it by expressing it to those around us or maybe posting it on social media. And so it is with God and so it is with praise to God and his commands for us to praise him. In Psalm 96, we find God's commands to praise him and the reasons why. God's purposes in praise. Let's read it together. It says, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this evening, this song that you've given to us here in Psalm 96, I pray that it would um, invoke joy in our heart and um, that we would understand what joy in Jesus should cause in our lives. You, you have purpose in uh, commanding us to praise and in our praise of you. I pray that we would know you better so that we might be able to praise you better and so that your purposes in praise might be accomplished. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, it's the command of God. That's God's purpose in praise. He wants us to obey him. It's the command of God. Psalm 96 begins with this comment. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. So not only are we commanded to praise God here, but we're commanded what to sing and who should be involved in this praise. It's a new song, and everyone is to join in on that new song. Now, I love the old hymns. I think they're about my favorite type of worship music. Um, They're so rich in theology and doctrine, and they teach us so much about God. Sometimes... Um, newer ones are incomparable as far as that goes, but not all of them. We're blessed uh, to have and to sing new hymns here, new praise songs that accomplish the same purpose and they have the same beauty. We would do good to realize that there was some point when victory in Jesus was a new song, right? I mean, it, it didn't, it's not like God, with no beginning and no end. There was a time when someone wrote that. I have to think that there was probably someone in some pew somewhere that wasn't too fond of it, didn't like the lyrics, didn't like the beat, because that's how it goes sometimes. Charles Spurgeon said this, referencing the great truth of Lamentations 3, since we have new mercies from God every morning to wake up to, we must have new songs to express our praise to God for them. And here in verse 1, God tells everyone to join in singing in this new song to the Lord. Now you might say, uh, I, I don't know it as well as I know the other ones. I've never sung it before. Well, of course not. It's a new song. Um, but God's commanding you to sing it here. And there was a point when, uh, another one of my favorites, what a day that will be. There was a point I did not know that. I had to learn it. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. So who's supposed to sing to him? 
all the earth. That's you. And maybe you think, well, I don't have a good voice. I don't. God, he doesn't say here, um, sing to the Lord, everyone who has a voice like a meadow lark, or you sound just like George Beverly Shea. That's not what he says here. He says, sing to the Lord, all the earth. God made your voice, and he wants to hear it. Other people might not want to, but God wants to hear it. It's a command of God. Verse 2, we're commanded to sing to the Lord once more, and then it says to bless his name. What does that mean, to bless God's name? Bless in the Hebrew is barak. It means to worship, it pr to praise. Literally means to kneel down, to bow down. And verse 2 closes with this awesome phrase about this command of God. Show forth his salvation from day to day. So through our obedience to this command to sing to the Lord, we proclaim the salvation that we have in him. And we're to do this today and tomorrow and the next day. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Do you know what the Hebrew word for salvation is here? It's Yeshua. Guess whose name that is in Hebrew? Jesus. So literally it's saying, uh, by your singing, proclaim Jesus every day. And there's one more verse in this section, verse 3, that goes along with what we just read at the end of verse 2. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. Now, I'm not saying, I don't think God is saying here that you should enter your workplace tomorrow after a lunch break going, to God be the glory. You wouldn't be wrong if you did. You might get some strange looks, um, but you'd be fulfilling God's command here and his purpose for praise. But, but even if you don't have a song being expelled from your mouth, do you have a song in your heart? In your interactions among the heathen or among all peoples, is there praise to God? Do they know about God's glory? Like it says here, declare his glory among the heathen, among all peoples. Do they know about his glory by what you value, what you talk about every day? And by what you do, because God wants you and he wants them to know. He wants you to be reminded. He wants them to be informed about the second purpose in praise. And that's the character of God. We have a great God. Amen. Amen. That's what verse four says. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Because he is great, so should be our praise to him. It should be great in quality. The best we can do it should be great in content. Because he deserves the best, doesn't he? He does. And how can we most greatly praise God? Among the English translations, I like the King James best here. Because there's a colon right after um, greatly to be praised. Other versions usually have a period or uh, maybe a semicolon uh, indicating that what follows is a new thought. I don't think so. I like the colon. Because it means here is how... You can most greatly praise our great God. Fear him. Fear him. And not um, like we typically think of fear in our present day use of the term, but rather the biblical concept of fearing God, uh, a joyful submission completely to his will, to his word, to whatever he wants in our lives. And that's the implication for praise and God's purpose in praise. Let me say it like A.W. Tozer says, if your life doesn't worship God, then your lips don't either, no matter what you said or what you sung. I'm sure you know that in the pages of Scripture, there is nothing that's more repulsive to God than the hypocrisy of those who, as Jesus said, quoting Isaiah, are people who honor me with their lips, but their hearts 
are far from me. And I love music. Um, I love to sing to the Lord and bless his name. God commands it here. Uh, But the music, we could say, the praise that he loves best is a song of a life that's lived in fear of him. A life that's lived in, in joyful, complete submission to God, to his word, and to his will for our lives. It says he's to be feared above all gods, small g, because there is no other God. Verse 5 says that these small g gods of other nations, they're idols, they're human creations. Mentally or literally, man makes them, but God made the heavens, it says. He made everything. He alone is God. He alone is to be feared. And you know, in our day, idolatry, uh, it seems a little weird, stupid, maybe even crazy, uh, that, that someone would uh, carve or, or shape something and, and then call it a God and bow down and worship to it. We would never be so dumb, right? What do you live in fear of more than God? That's your idol. What do you value more than God by your words or your actions? That's what you're worshiping. That's your idol. What could you not live without? If it would be removed from you, your joy goes out the window, your peace is shattered. We struggle with idolatry just like the original audience that God had David write to here, don't we? We do. We're to proclaim Jesus day to day. That's what we've been told. We're to declare his glory to those around us, not the glory of the things of this world. Look at verse 6. It says, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Are you singing of his honor and majesty, his strength and beauty? And I don't mean just at church here together or alone in your car. Are you proclaiming those things? Are you declaring those things by what you value and how you talk? And what you do, the character of God, is it reflected in your life to those around you? Because that's God's purpose in our praise. And then in verses 7 to 9, we get a third one, the confession to God. Uh, The King James uses the word give in verses 7 and 8. In some English translations, I think they say things like ascribe. And both of those are accurate. I also like the word confess. Not as in confessing a sin, but confessing a truth. Like we have a confession of faith, a doctrinal statement. We say, this is what I believe. And verse 7 says, Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory that's due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. So we're supposed to give or, or ascribe or confess these things to God. It doesn't mean give like we give these things to him. We can't give God any glory or any strength that he doesn't already have and and always will have an infinite amount of. But we are commanded to ascribe it, to give it, to confess that he is infinitely strong and majestic and, and glorious. That's what God's asking us to do here, to sing of his glory and strength, to confess that fact as a reality in our lives, to remind ourselves and remind each other and anybody who is in earshot of these truths that God is glorious, that God is strong, that, that there are none, that there is no one, nothing that's as infinitely glorious or, or strong as our great God. And then at the end of verse 8, we're commanded to bring an offering to the Lord and to come into his courts or his presence with that offering. And verse 9 gives us details about what kind of offering God wants us to give him. 
And it's not the grain offerings or the doves or lambs or goats or bulls of the Old Testament, Old Covenant that we read about. No, we're to worship him by coming into his presence with this offering. It says in verse 9, I'll worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. The beauty of holiness. That's how we worship him best. For you and I who are under the new covenant because of our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ for us, we are to worship God with the offering that God has Paul described in Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know those verses where Paul says, therefore, because of the gospel, he's just explained for 11 chapters. Therefore, I plead with you, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's just the proper offering. And don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Holiness. That's the offering we're to bring. That's what God wants. Holiness is never, don't believe this lie from Satan. Holy, holiness is never in conflict with our happiness and joy. It's the conduit to true happiness and joy. Holiness is the offering that our great, majestic, and glorious God desires and deserves from those he has called from death to life. And it's the praise song that we offer by how we live. It's a song that doesn't end when the service is over and we walk out those doors. It's, it's a song that keeps going. A holy life, it's, it's like those angels who are pictured before the throne of God throughout Scripture. And all they do from eternity past to eternity present is they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. That's what a holy life lived out before God does. It's how we fear before him all the earth, as verse 9 says. And that's a commission of God. That's God's purpose and praise. This was addressed earlier in the opening three verses, but God's final purpose of praise that's highlighted here in verses 10 to 13 is great commission accomplishment to go and make disciples, to, to point others to Jesus Christ, to tell them about the salvation that's found only in him. Verse 10 commissions us to say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. Say among those who don't know the Lord that the Lord reigns. Do you do that? Does your life song sing that? And what I mean is by how you live, um, do those who don't know God those who don't have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, do they know that the Lord reigns? When they see your reaction to election day, do they know that the Lord reigns? When they see you react to a medical diagnosis, do they know that the Lord reigns? And when they see our response to the stock market or to life's tears or temptations or trials, would they come away with the idea that you truly believe that God reigns, that Jesus is Lord and he's on the throne, that heaven rules. And the rest of verse 10 and verses 11 and 13, they take us to that day when that will be an uncontested reality. We need to be brought there mentally because uh, all around us right now, there are events and people who seem to call that fact, that reality into question. I mean, sin is prevalent, isn't it? And sickness occurs, and we lose jobs, and we lose loved ones. And the wicked constantly contest what we know to be true, that the Lord reigns. And he does. But what the rest of verse 10 and 
on what it's describing here is that coming day when that will be a universal reality. And there will be no contesting his reign. Um, when what we have prayed for so long in the Lord's prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when it's answered. And that's how everybody's going to live for all eternity. Let's read the rest of verse 10. It says, The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. So let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad and let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord for he cometh. For he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. So here's a reminder of that coming kingdom that we're all a part of now. But we're awaiting its complete fulfillment when Christ will reign here on earth for a thousand years and us with him. And then he'll make a new heavens and a new earth where that's going to be our reality for all eternity. It's not distant. In verses 11 and 12, uh, the invitation, the, the command to praise God, it extends from us and all the earth to even the natural world. The heavens, the sea, the earth, the field, the trees, they're all going to sing for joy. That's why I asked Tommy to sing joy to the world. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs because it's not even really about Christmas. It's not about his first coming. It's really about his second coming. Far as the curse is found. <laughs> It'll be broken. We'll understand well, the complete restoration that is through Jesus Christ. And I hope every time that you hear it or sing it in the coming months, this Christmas season, I hope it reminds you of the truths of Psalm 96. I hope it mentally takes you to that coming kingdom. Verse 13 says, when he comes, there's going to be joy, but there will also be judgment. He will judge the world with righteousness and truth. Guess who's a little literal uh, personification of those things? Jesus Christ. Righteousness and truth. And because that day is coming, because it's getting ever near, and because there will be joy and judgment God's purpose in our praising him is to bring as many to joy and out of judgment as possible until that day comes. He wants you and I, who've come to know the joy that's found only in Jesus, to do what verses 2 and 3 told us to do. Proclaim his salvation. Proclaim Yeshua. Proclaim Jesus all day, every day. Verse 3, declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. And tell the heathen the message of verse 10. The Lord reigns. Point them to Christ. Point them to the salvation that's found only in him. That is our great commission from our great God who is greatly to be praised. You know, um, I pray that Psalm 96 aids your intentionality in worship. I catch myself all the time. It's just so easy, especially if you've grown up in church. I, uh, Tommy gets up here, he starts singing, and I'm just doing the lyrics. And I might be, I mean, I don't have a bad heart, but I'm not really worshiping with a whole lot of purpose or intentionality. I mean, this is why we sing. Where we've been told here, four different purposes in praise in Psalm 96. And this is how we're to live. It's not just something that we do together. It's something that, a song that should continue when we leave here. God commands that we are to confess the character of our God to ourselves, to other believers, as a faith-infusing celebratory reminder to them. And we're to confess it to those who don't yet know him. 
Words of praise, works of praise, that's our commission from God to point others to Jesus. Are, are your lips, is your life proclaiming Jesus day to day? Is what you say, is how you live declaring the glory of God to those around you? Do they, do they know he is great because of your great praise for him? This is a crazy world, isn't it? It's crazy to you. Can you imagine not having Jesus Christ? It'd be way crazier. And that's the world that they live in. They don't have what you have. And so can they hear your lips? Can they hear your lives sing that the Lord reigns? Is that your, your life lyric? That Jesus, the King of Kings, he's on the throne of my heart. He's coming to reign here. Are you ready? Let me tell you how you can be, how you can be his. And I invite you, as, as the praise team comes up right now, I invite you to praise him that way tonight with your lips.